Today, guess what? We're continuing week four. Can you believe it? We're in week four. But before I move into it, I want to give us just a quick recap of what we learned. For some of us in here, we weren't here the last three weeks, but I like to catch you up. And so the first week, if you remember, we talked about incarnation. That's Jesus coming to this world and becoming flesh. Everybody was wondering what God looked like. Well, when Jesus came, he showed up and he said, hello, I am my father's son. I am his creation. Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. The second week we talked about and we were talking how we can focus on the need to prove to the culture around us that Christianity isn't some kind of legalistic, pharisaical religion. But you know, that's not what Jesus intended Christianity to be. Jesus intended Christianity to, to be a relationship. If you've been a part of Calvary for some time, no, you, you know that we're big on relationship, how our Father wants to have relationship with us. That's what you just sang just a moment ago. A relationship, a relationship where there's intimacy, where there's profound depth, where there is one-on-one -on -one interaction, right? And so through Jesus living his life through us, okay, we can become credible in what we say to the world around us. Last week, we looked at the subject of conversation and confrontation, right? Church has made a big deal about confronting. You better confront, confront, and make it right, confront, and make it right. But listen, we see from the very life of Jesus that confrontation doesn't do anything good without having a conversation. I earn to be heard by people. Trust. Jesus came to establish that. He came to hear people. He came to confront their beliefs about themselves. He heard them out. And then he confronted. And then he conversed. The same way you and I are called to that. And so, just a quick recap. So we looked at incarnation. We've looked at reputation, conversation, and confrontation. And today, come on, we're going to dive into transformation. Can you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Transformation. Being transformed from the inside out. You know, our society, our culture is obsessed with transformation. Just think about it. I remember when the show uh, Extreme Home Makeover first came out. Every Sunday evening, I was at my couch watching that show. And I couldn't wait for the transformation to happen from an old house to a new house, right? But we're enamored with it. Think about it, the shows that you watch. You watch cars get transformed. People even go on shows to be transformed. They transform their bodies, right? The Biggest Loser. And as a society, as a culture that loves to see things transformed or changed. Can I tell you each and every one of those that I just said, <laughs> they're surface level kind of change. Because you can change a 67 Chevy Malibu, right? 
you can change it so much so that it can look like you just drove it off the showroom floor yesterday. But at the end of the day, it's still a 67 Chevy Malibu. Are you hearing me? And so you and I have to understand that even though you can change things and even though we're impressed by the outward restoration and transformation, understand what's really impressive is how God has the ability to perform true transformation in the life of a believer. True transformation, that's impressive. To be transformed from the inside out, to change from the inside out, that right there is impressive and it is amazing. So I want to make a strong statement today that is going to frame our discussion. Here it is. There's a difference between a believer and a disciple. Say that again. There's a difference between a believer and a disciple. With all of our hands up in this place, come on, focus on Jesus for a moment. We've had an amazing time together already. Come on, let's just let's just declare that this moment is going to be significant, that we're going to be able to be aware of God's presence. I think that's that's where we mess up. We're not aware of God's presence. And so let us be aware of God's presence today. Jesus, we're aware. Open our eyes to see, Lord, everything that you have done for us, your completed work, your finished work on the cross, Lord, how we draw our life from that action, how we draw our belief from that action, Lord. We thank you that today we are filled. We're full. We do not lack one thing. So thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you brought us to this place so that we can be aware. Be aware of his presence. Be aware of his presence. Jacob said a prayer in Genesis. After seeing a vision, he said, the Lord is in this place and I was not aware. Let us be aware today. Thank you, Lord. Let us be aware. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise? There's a difference between a believer and a disciple. Now, there are first decisions uh, for Christ, and then there are people who make decisions and following Christ. In other words, I would say like this, that every Christian is someone who has put their trust in Jesus. Not every Christian has necessarily been an active disciple of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Every person that calls himself a Christian has put their trust in Jesus, but not every believer, hear me, is necessarily an active disciple of Jesus. And you can give God praise for this because all Christians are going to go to heaven. If, you're, if you consider yourself a Christian, you believe uh, that Jesus died for you and rose for you, and now you have his life, guess what? You're going to go to heaven. Praise God for that. That is a big deal. Come on, it's huge. But hear me when I say this. But not all Christians are growing 
and their passion for bringing the priorities of heaven on earth. You mean I can be a Christian who's accepted the life of Christ and go sit on my couch for the rest of my life and I can still go to heaven? Absolutely. You can. But I think where the satisfying aspect comes is when as believers, we see the promise over our lives that God has shown us. And so our lives become bigger than ourselves. Our lives become bigger than what we could see with our natural eye. And I'm telling you, when you find yourself in Jesus, there's no way you can have a small dream. Because if God is big, Jesus is big, then the dream that he's going to give you is going to be a big dream. Welcome to the party. That dream that you have, that you're afraid of, that dream that you have and that hope that you've been telling yourself, am I able to accomplish that? Welcome to the party. If it's bigger than you, you're in good company. Because if you could do it, then you wouldn't need Jesus. And so Jesus made this distinction between believers and disciples in places in the Bible, especially in John 8. Go with me to John 8, whether you're following along with your Calvary Church app or if you're following along on the screen. And if for those of you that got old school paper Bibles, let's go. Anybody in here is it just me today? Let's go. Come on. I think we had two in our 9 a.m. service. Keeping it alive. That's what we're doing. We're keeping it alive. John 8, ready? We're going to begin at verse 30. Here's what it says. Even as he spoke, speaking of Jesus, even as he spoke, many believed in him. It's John's way of telling us that they got saved. Okay? They became children of faith. So let's continue. Verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it isn't, isn't it interesting that it says you will know the truth, and by knowing the truth, by knowing the truth, it's going to set you free. So Jesus is talking to true believers right here in the crowd, right? And this tells us that Jesus was giving an invitation for a life of intimacy, not a life of regimen. I think in the church what we've done a good job is put people in regimens, routines, and duties, right? Regimens. It's not about a regimen. It's about a relationship, intimacy. It's about a deep personal communion with God. That's what it is. Jesus is telling, the, telling these genuine believers that trusting in his Messiahship is where new life begins. And although it is an invitation, hear me, it's also Jesus telling them, don't miss on the opportunity to really know the truth. I think for all of us, every moment that we become aware of God's presence in our life is not only Jesus Reinviting us to the party, but it's really telling us it's an opportunity to continue to know the truth. 
Continue to know the truth. I don't want to get fancy on you, but another translation of that verse that we just read says it like this. You shall be knowing the truth, and the truth shall be setting you free. So it's, it's knowing the truth that's going to be setting me free. So I'll put it like this. In other words, experience the life of Christ. Experiencing the life of Christ is gaining your freedom from religion, is gaining your freedom from your addictions, it's gaining freedom from your sin, your failure, your shame, your shame, and it's an ongoing process. I'm learning how free I am each and every day. It's an ongoing process. Hear me, it's an ongoing process. I get to experience that deep connection with Jesus, who is the truth, to learn what truth is, and as I do that, I learn how free I am. I'm learning how free I am each and every day through every circumstance in life. You're learning how free you are through every circumstance in life. You're learning how free you are. And here's the kicker, because if you're not learning how free you are, you're being convinced by the things around you that you are trapped in your circumstances. And so for us living on this side of the cross, living with an understanding of the fish work of Jesus, get this. You are invited to a journey. You're invited to receive this life. But get this, Jesus is also telling us that you get to enjoy this life. I think many Christians don't enjoy Jesus' accomplishment on the cross. I think many Christians don't enjoy what God actually did for them. You know, you're called to enjoy it well. How come every time I put on Christian television, they're talking about suffering and sacrifice and taking up your cross? No, Jesus' cross was big enough. Listen, there's going to be times where I, I may have some suffering in my, in my life. But Paul didn't talk about your suffering. He talked about how you can rejoice in the middle of your pain. There's a higher reality to this, and you need to understand, and I need to understand that we are called to continue to learn how to enjoy this life, but also rest in the finished work of Jesus, rest in what he did, because there are many benefits to what he did for us. If it's finished, then it's finished, and it's concluded. It's a done deal, and you and I get to receive it. And there's going to be one day, hear me, there's going to be one day where, where suffering on this earth is not going to happen and we will be in heaven and God, God praise, we'll praise God for that. That is amazing. But hear me, you are as righteous as you'll ever be in this moment. If you receive the life of Christ and you know that you have his life, you can't get any more righteous than this moment right here. And if you're glad for that, you can give Jesus some praise. 
For those of us that are new in this room, you need to understand that righteousness is a big deal. Righteousness means that you have right standing with God. You got peace with God. God actually likes you and he loves you. That's what that means. And although all of us are righteous as we will ever be in this moment, we aren't automatically as mature as we'll ever be in terms of becoming his disciples. Let me tell you why. Because there's a process. And I remember coming into grace, that word process was like a cuss word. We did not like that. Because we came into the finished work of Jesus and we were like, process? What do you mean? But let me tell you something. There's something in the Bible where Paul talks about how you've been sanctified and you're being sanctified. You know what that means? Is that Jesus did something on the inside of you. Your spirit is born again. It's 100% holy. But what's being sanctified is my mind. My mind is catching up to what Jesus actually did for me. And to learn that, I have to get around some good news. I have to get around some good news. And so isn't it interesting that what happens to us is we get distracted from what the finished work tells us. And so with all that being said, what this means in a nutshell is that Christianity is not a behavioral modification program. Christianity is not some surface level reformation. It's not some sin management in order to try to become a better version of yourself. That's not what Christianity is. It's not refurbishing the 67 Chevy Malibu. You know what it is? It's the 67 Chevy Malibu becoming a completely brand new space aged car. (laughs) It's not about refurbishing your old life. It's not about looking good to your fellow neighbor. It's not about the exterior things that we can change. In reality, Christianity, you know what it's about? It's it's becoming an entirely new creation. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are in Christ. You are a new creation. Hey, all old things have passed. New things have come. Someone say new. Do you like new? You're a new creation. New things have come. So you're not a better version of your old self. You're not an upgraded version of your old self. You're a brand new creation. Let us have eyes to see this morning. You're a brand new creation. You become a brand new creation and your inner person, your spirit is crucified and raised to life with Christ, but you don't automatically wake up the next morning with an entirely renewed mind. That's the problem. And this is where the process of discipleship is rooted. You want to know what discipleship is in the new covenant? Discipleship is renewing your mind. In the church, we've done a good job of putting people through programs and policies and seven things to do, become a better Christian. And all we've done is make uh, 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 replications of ourselves. All we've done is make good copies of who we are. And everybody looks the same, sounds the same. Everybody acts the same. 
Now, God wants to use your unique voice, your unique personality, the way you're going to de declare the good news of Jesus Christ. He's going to use you. And guess what? As you continue to renew your mind to this truth, you're going to be able to see that. But here's, here's our role. Are you ready? To receive and respond. To receive and respond. Come on, say that with me. Receive and respond. We've done a great job of responding before we receive. In the church, oh, the church has an issue? Let's respond before we receive. Oh, I got money issues? Let me respond before I receive. I got relational issues? Let me respond before I receive. See, everything dealing with God's kingdom is to be dealt with with Receiving first, then responding. Because you can't respond appropriately without having first received from God first. And what I mean by this when I say receive, see, a lot of us think, well, I got to go to work. Then I got to get, I got to do stuff. Listen, receiving first who you are, whose you are, and what God has called you to. That's what I'm talking about when I say receiving. And many issues in my life that I've dealt with in the past year, can I tell you, I've learned how to receive before responding. We're good at responding first. And when we do that, we're going to hurt people. We're going to hurt ourselves or we're going to force things to happen. And when we force things to happen, guess what? They don't last long. But everything in the spirit that's birthed in the spirit lasts forever. <laughs> it lasts forever. Paul said it like this about receiving and responding and renewing your mind. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to know what discipleship looks like? Renewing your mind. Mind. Pastor, how do I change? How do I change? How do I change in 2021? Hey, renew your mind. What do I do? Renew your mind. And so there's so much, so much teaching in the New Testament about the power of transformation in our lives. And Paul was telling the Romans in 12.2 that they can renew their minds and they can be transformed. But that word transformation, you know, you want to know what it means? Metamorphosis. This is where we get our word where we describe the transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Do you know what's interesting about that? Is that there is no remnants of the caterpillar on the butterfly. It's entire it's an, it's an entire new creation. It's new of a kind. There's nothing about the butterfly that says caterpillar. In the same way, you want to know how God sees you? He sees you as a saint, not a sinner. He sees you as a son and a daughter, not a servant. Are you hearing me? He sees you holy, not unholy. He sees you in Christ, not out of Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? He sees you as one with him, not distant. He sees you as healed, not as unhealed. There's no remnants of the caterpillar 
or your old life or old self that is attached to you. You want to know where you attach it? It's right here. The unrenewed mind. So listen, if we're going to live outwardly what we already are inwardly, that journey must be squarely based upon accurately believing who God is and what he says about us. Do you know why? Because wrong beliefs, wrong beliefs led, lead to wrong thoughts. See, in church, we've, what we have is whenever you have unbelief in church, whenever you have wrong thoughts, it's usually an inaccurate picture of God. So let's get an accurate picture of God. Wrong beliefs lead to wrong thoughts. Wrong thoughts lead to negative emotions. Negative emotions lead to a weakened will. And then a weakened will leads to sinful behavior. And this is what renewing our minds has to be so important, has to be vital in our journey because we learn who we are and what what we're actually packing on the inside of us. And so Jesus uses this term, abide in Christ right? Abide in Christ. Abide in me. And he, he paints the picture for us on how we are connected to him like branches are connected to a vine, right? What an amazing picture. But did you know many, there's been many models of what discipleship looks like throughout the generations of church. I mean, you can even go to different denominations and they look totally totally different. But just think about in Jesus' day, he was considered a rabbi. So the best a rabbi could offer any disciple would be, hey, try your best to behave like a rabbi. Copy what they do. Put your best effort. That's the best a rabbi could do. But I love the new covenant because Christianity is based, remember, it's not following a rabbi. It's allowing Jesus to live through you. So when Jesus wanted us to come to him and learn from him, he wanted us to take special note of the relationship that he had with his heavenly father. Vine, branches. He was showing us a picture how we are connected. All of us are connected to the living vine. And for that, you can you can give God thanks because you have new DNA pumping in your veins right now. And this is important to know because the Bible says that we tend to become outwardly whatever we believe about ourselves inwardly. So you play out your own thoughts. If you think that you're going to be a failure, you think that you're going to be you're always going to struggle with sin. And guess what? You might just do that because you believe that. But Jesus came and said, there's a different way to think because I relate to you in a different way. And suddenly, if we embrace that, do you know what happens? Sin no longer has a hold on us. Hey, failure no longer has a hold on us. Now we can see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. So, Begs the question, what does my new life look like? What does it look like? How does this actually work? I have four things to give you. I'm only going to give you two today. 
for sake of time because I know you're hungry. And I'm going to get you walking out of here. But the first thing is this. If you're taking notes with your Calvary app, you can write this down. The first thing that Jesus gives us as a result of the new covenant is a new paradigm. It's a new paradigm. It's a different way to think. It's a different way to think. And so on that night that Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says he took a cup of wine as a symbol of the new covenant. Disciples, something's coming. It's going to be brand new. And understand that the new covenant had been promised from generations past through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It was given to the nation of Israel to include not only Jews, but also the Gentiles, us, you and me. And so after Jesus announces this, Jesus explained to his disciples that a new kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit would begin to manifest. And after this, he apparently pointed them to a nearby vineyard. And by doing this, he began to illustrate for us what the new covenant looks like. And then Jesus began to teach that the relationship with his disciples would, in, would be enjoyed under the new covenant, a connection, an intimacy. And check it out in John 15, 5. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in him, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now hear me because I've always read that verse as prescriptive, meaning that I had to take it like a prescription to make my situation better. And so it made me go to work. How many of you guys are thankful for the finished work of the cross? I am. And so now because of the finished work of the cross, you read this as descriptive. It's describing what you and I are already in. You will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. You know where you can shout? is right there, because that's already happened. You're connected to God by way of Jesus Christ, by his death and his, his, his resurrection, and now you can see yourself connected, not distant, not far away, but close and near. And if you're glad for that, you can give Jesus some praise. Come on. So Jesus' illustration of the vine and the branches cannot be overemphasized in our understanding of what grace-based new covenant discipleship looks like. Because Jesus is introducing how to do this thing a whole new way. And under the old covenant, the best a rabbi could do was to offer his disciples, follow me. Follow me. Try to be like your mentor. And many of us have tried that life. And many of us, this is our second or third or fourth time trying Christianity because no one communicated what Jesus actually finished on our behalf. So we always believed that we had to fix ourselves, that we had to show more zeal, that we had to have more love for him and more passion. I can't do anything without understanding how much he loves me first. 
But in John 15, Jesus is now introducing his disciples to something far better. In effect, get what he's doing. He's rewiring the whole system of that day, how to grow and mature in Christ. And no longer is it about a disciple striving in their own power to be like Jesus. Hear me. Instead, it's focusing upon Jesus living his life through me. There's a difference. There's a difference. It's a critical importance for us when understanding the difference between works-based religion and grace-based religion. Works-based religion, or I'll say it like this, works-based discipleship looked like this. It's all about the disciple and what you can do. But grace-based discipleship, you want to know what it looks like? Is Jesus expressing his life through me to the people around me, to my community. And that's why I said, if you have a great dream, welcome to the party, because Jesus is going to do it through you. Number two, write this down. Not only did he give you a new paradigm, but he gave you new power. New power. Someone say power. You just get more powerful by saying the word power. Maybe you should say it more often. New power. Most Christians, okay, have been rightly taught that they are indwelt by a power. But not all Christians have been taught that this power that we have is indwelling, it's in God's presence, and it resides in us 24-7, 365. Here's where the word aware becomes more important. Because sometimes we're not aware about God's presence. Sometimes we're not aware of the power that we actually possess. We're more aware of the issue. We're more aware of the problem. We're more aware of our, the problems in our country. We're more aware about the diseases in our, in our world. We're more aware about that and not aware of God's presence in our life. Many believers don't properly understand and embrace the reality of their new nature in Christ. And I, I've talked about this more extensively in the past. But suffice it to say that our power not only comes from the Holy Spirit in us, but also from the fact that our human spirit has now been perfected through the co-crucifixion and resurrection with Christ. And this means, listen, and, and this means that contrary to a lot of popular understanding, it's inaccurate for a believer to believe that they have a dual nature. I'm going to say that again. It's inaccurate to believe that a Christian has a dual nature. You want to know what that sounds like for many of us? Well, I have good in me, but I have a little bad in me too. Man, there's some evil there. If you just show up on my bad days, like I got a little bit of evil in me. That's you believing in dual nature. Jesus said, hey, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to come give you a dual nature. Paul said, you are a new creation in Christ. Not dual nature, 
not hot code, not dirty and clean, not holy and then unholy. Are you getting me? And many of us have been led to assume that, wow, something new has occurred within us, that something significant happened on the inside of us. Somehow we still believe that we're dragging that old self along. Well, pastor says I'm new, so I must be new, but I'm still dragging this old, old self along. This, this person that I, I'm still, I still have, there's still remnants of it, right? And so I still have a sinful nature, right, pastor? I still, I still am kind of sinful, right? Because I do bad things. And isn't that the bad in me? Understand that when Jesus gave his life and you received his life, you got his new nature. And it's, it's your role to now go on this journey in a relationship with your heavenly father so that he can continue to show you your new nature. I'm going to say it like this. I tried to be a good disciple of Jesus without having an understanding of the new covenant. And I failed miserably. Time and time and time again, I failed. But can I tell you, on this side of it, understanding the finished work of the cross, I haven't failed yet. Stop. I'm not saying that I don't sin. I just go back to who I am after I do occasionally sin. I go back to who I am. I go back to who he called me. I don't go back to my own effort. I don't go back to my own work and trying to save myself. I go back to what he said about me and the finished work of the cross. And so it's, an, it's inaccurate. It's not right if you think to yourself that you have a dual nature. No, Jesus did something significant in you. And today you are as righteous as you'll ever be. You are full of his presence. You are clean. You are close. He is yours. You're in this together. And so in relation to the illustration that Jesus gave us, how Jesus shared how we are connected to him like a branch is connected to a vine. That is the core essence of God's love for us. And this is where the power to live a transformed life comes from. It's in this revelation. It's where this power comes from. Renewing my mind. It's not rooted in striving to please God with my behavior. It's not rooted in trying to please God with my good actions. Get this. It's understanding. It's receiving. It's, it's knowing that God is already pleased with Jesus' perfect obedience on the cross. And if you still have thoughts that it's up to you, then my friend, I'm here to tell you that's inaccurate. And I'm here, I'm here to let you know that if it was up to you, then you wouldn't need a savior. You could save yourself. I'm so glad that we do have a savior. I'm grateful that he took me out of the equation. 
I'm grateful that the work can stop and I can rest in what he said. I'm not talking about lazy Christianity. If anything, I'm talking about faith-filled Christianity because what he says, you have to believe. So I rest in what he said. I trust him. I trust him. God's already pleased with Jesus. And then he gave us his son. And many of us have received the life of his son. But do you want to know what Jesus did for you and I? Jesus not only gave us his life, but he also gave us his track record of performance. Did you know that? When you became a child of God, you not only receive a new future, but you also received a new past. Your past is entirely new. Your past looks squeaky clean. Your past is different from what you associate with. You know how our testimonial nights go in churches? Hey, 30 minutes, I'm going to share my dirt. I went to prison. I was addicted to this. I got divorced. And one minute is reserved for what Jesus did. And I think that's sad. Because if Jesus did something significant for us, and our testimony will be like Paul. Hey, I did some stuff. But man, you have to know about my future. Jesus calls me son. He calls me righteous, a new creation in Christ. And let me spend the next 30 minutes telling you what I see that God showed me. He showed me that I'm righteous, and I can't wait to share this to the world. He's shown me that I'm holy, and I can't wait to do what he's called me to do. I can't wait to show and prove the naysayers wrong, because they believed I was a certain person on that day, but today I'm different, and wait six months from now, because I'm going to be entirely new. I'm different. God's showing me a new future. You got a new past. <laughs> Why do we associate our past up here and what we've done? You're new, brand new. Well, Pastor, did, doesn't there have to be like a death? Absolutely. You died with Christ on the cross. Congratulations. You thought you had to carry your cross, but really you were in Christ and he was carrying the cross for you. And now today, I hope you get a glimpse and you're aware is that when the nails pierced his hands, it pierced your hands. You know why you're considered the generation of Isaac? Because Isaac laughs, he has joy because he doesn't feel the pain. Today, you don't feel the pain of crucifixion. You just celebrate what has been done. You celebrate the very fact that it's been done for you. Be aware, children. Children of Isaac. Children of laughter. Children of joy. I don't have to feel that crucifixion but I'm glad because Jesus did it for me. So hey, how can we live this life of incarnation? How can we be able to live this life of fruit here on earth? I've had a lot of downtime to think. <laughs> Praise God for that. 
But you know what I've come to realize? That the fruit of the Spirit is the most attractive thing to this world. The fruit of the Spirit is the most attractive thing in this world. Because when the world sees love, when they see an accurate picture of joy, of peace, of patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control bursting from our lives, that's when that they'll know that Jesus is worth following. It's attractive. Jesus said in John 1335, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Church, I know we want transformation, culture transformation. We want our society to be transformed. Listen, some of us want our relationships to be transformed. We want us to be transformed. We want transformation, and nothing can bring transformation like God can. No politics, no president, no policies, no procedures. Nothing can bring transformation like we desire it to be like God can. It's a personal transformation that happens. I'm telling you, it's through us first living in grace-based community with one another, discovering how to practice the presence of God together. This is the essence of God's love for us. Love one another.